0: Welcome to the Energy Policy Now podcast from the Climate Center for Energy Policy at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Stone. In 2017, Hurricane Maria destroyed Puerto Rico's electric grid, cutting off power to the island's 3.2 million residents, some of whom remained without electricity for nearly a year. The hurricane added to a list of hardships faced by Puerto Ricans, who had endured a decade of economic recession that led the island to bankruptcy, and in 2016, to the establishment by Congress of an independent management board to guide the rebuilding of the island's economy. Today's guest is one of the seven members of that board. David skill is the S. Samuel Arst Professor of Corporate Law at the University of Pennsylvania Law School and a member of Puerto Rico's Financial Oversight and Management Board. On today's podcast, David will guide us through the history of Puerto Rico's interconnected economic and energy crises, And we'll talk about the controversial plan to privatize the island's electric system with the aim of returning it to financial viability. It's a plan that many in Puerto Rico worry will fail to address a history of utility mismanagement and corruption, as well as the need to develop an electric grid that will be more resilient in the face of future hurricanes. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you are one of seven members of Puerto Rico's Financial Oversight and Management Board, which was established by Congress to begin the process of rebuilding Puerto Rico's economy. Could you tell us about your role and the board's mandate?
1: Absolutely. As as you just mentioned, uh, the Oversight Board was created by Congress. It was created... On June 30th, 2016, and there was an elaborate process for picking the seven members of the oversight board that was finalized at the end of the summer, the end of August 2016. And when all the smoke cleared, I was one of the seven members of the uh, the oversight board. Simply put, we have two major responsibilities that that we were given as part of the legislation. The legislation is called promesa, which means promise in Spanish two major responsibilities. The first is to put in place five year, five or more year fiscal plans for Puerto Rico. And, and once that fiscal plan is in place, Puerto Rico's budgets have to conform with the plan. Puerto Rico essentially can't do anything that's inconsistent with the fiscal plan. So the first thing was to put in place fiscal plans to try to help Puerto Rico get its financed ba- finances balanced again. Second responsibility is to restructure the debt. Prior to 2016, Puerto Rico had no way to restructure either its debt as a commonwealth or the debt of any uh, of its public corporations. Promesa uh, gives what looks like a bankruptcy option, it's very similar to municipal bankruptcy. Um, and our task, uh, second task, is to use that as necessary that's what we've been doing. Um, so both with respect to Puerto Rico itself and its uh, public instrumentalities, its public corporations, one of the most important of which is the energy company, PREPA. Um, we, we've been doing both of these things. We've put uh, fiscal plans in place and at this point they are both in what's loosely called bankruptcy. Technically it is title three, Roman numeral three of ProMesa.
0: So Puerto Rico's economy entered a long recession beginning in the early 2000s. What caused that long decline?
1: What caused that long decline is a very complicated story, but a relatively accurate version of it can be distilled to something close to a soundbite. And the the soundbite is... Puerto Rico had a tax break that had attracted pharmaceutical companies and other light technology to Puerto Rico. It was Section 936 of the tax code. That was phased out starting in in, uh, 1996, phased out from 1996 to 2006. Not coincidentally, the recession started about 2006. What happened is Puerto Rico lost a major source of revenues— and rather than cutting back their government to adjust to the new reality, they plugged the hole with debt. Uh, they they uh, ratcheted up the amount of borrowing they were doing, and the result was a mess. And, um, and there are other things going on as well, but that really is the heart of what caused the recession. So how did the recession contribute to the
0: decaying of Puerto Rico's electric system and the vulnerabilities that were, that were so exposed by Hurricane Maria?
1: Well the simple answer is that because of the the financial pressures that PREPA faced just as Puerto Rico as a whole faced they really underinvested in maintaining the grid and maintaining the system and so even before Promesa a year before Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Maria was in fall 2017, a year after uh, PROMESA and the Oversight Board were put in place. Even before all of this, uh, the grid was in terrible shape. There were regular blackouts. In fact, the very first public meeting we had after the um, after the board was put in place, there were blackouts the day of, of the public meeting. So the grid really was a mess. Um, the grid was already a mess. The reality is... Even under the best of circumstances, it's quite difficult. Uh, Puerto Rico is an island, which um, makes generating electricity more complicated than when you're connected to to a mainland. Uh, It is an island that has mountains in the middle. It has rainforests. As uh, PREPA evolved, the generation was produced in the south. Most of the demand for electricity is in the north. So it's a very complicated system that was uh, very much underinvested in and the result was a disaster
0: and it was the felling of those lines those transmission lines from south to north that was a lot of the, the reason for the, the blackout following Hurricane Maria and why it took so long also to rebuild that, that system.
1: And that continued to be a problem even, as you just mentioned, in the wake of Hurricane Maria. One of the blackouts, I think, was caused when uh, a bulldozer bumped into an electricity substation and the entire island was blacked out as a result. So very, very fragile would be the way you would describe the um, transmission and distribution system. So
0: here we are today, about two years after Hurricane Maria, can you tell me a little bit what is the physical condition of the grid and the economic condition of of the electric utility at this point?
1: So the, the physical condition of the grid now is it's, it's still quite fragile. Um, it, a lot has been done since Hurricane Maria. It has been strengthened uh, overall, but it, it is still not there. So uh, just not to get into the weeds too much, but one of the things that needed to be done uh, is vegetation management. Needed to make sure that all the lines were clear, there wasn't overgrowth interfering with them. That's still not done um, as of now. And, and that's part of what um, contributes to the possibility of blackout. So still very fragile. Lots is being done. It's obviously is in much better shape than it was after Hurricane Maria um, in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Maria, um, but, but it's still a problem.
0: So the grid was essentially rebuilt as it was before. There were no changes really in, in terms of the generation mix of the, uh, the distribution or transmission systems. And my understanding is that that was due to the requirements of FEMA to fund some of this rebuilding. Is that correct?
1: Uh, That is largely correct. I I would recharacterize it a little bit uh, in saying that the the, the grid is not exactly the way it is before, and it will not be exactly the way it is before. It'll be much more resilient. It will be much better. But what I think you're alluding to is the standard requirement for federal funding after a disaster, or the, the, the... standard yardstick is trying to put the utility where it was before the disaster. And in Puerto Rico's case, and in Prepa's case, it's a bit of a problem because where Puerto Rico was before the disaster was the electricity company was a mess. It was fragile, it was antiquated. And so that has been a complexity that you you can't get federal money generally to create a different grid. You can get federal money to recreate the grid you had. And that has been one of the obstacles going forward. As I said, the end result is going to be much more resilient, much better, but it won't be as completely different and modernized as as one might do if you were drawing truly on a blank slate. Mm-hmm. So what's PrEPA's economic
0: situation today?
1: So the economic situation that PREPA is in is is dire um, and was dire back when the Oversight Board was put in place in 2016. In July of 2017, about a year later, uh, we, with the approval of the governor, put Prepa in what people call bankruptcy, as I mentioned earlier. Technically, Title Three technically not called bankruptcy, but bankruptcy for um, for one of a, a better word. And so uh, we have been trying to renegotiate their debts ever since then. And I say we because with respect to the bankruptcy process, the oversight board is the debtor. With respect to running PREPA, deciding what to do with PREPA, the government and PREPA are, are in charge of that. But we are the debtor. The oversight board is the debtor in bankruptcy. And so we have been trying to restructure the debts.
0: In early 2018, uh, Puerto Rico's then governor, Ricardo Rossello, put forth a plan to privatize the utility, which is what we're talking about here. And that plan is now be considered by the island's legislature. What are the main points of the plan and and what exactly will be privatized?
1: It's a key question. The the focus of the plan is to treat the transmission and distribution on the one hand a little differently than the generation um, on the other hand. With the transmission and distribution, the idea is to bring in a private operator. So it it won't be truly privatized in the normal sense of that word. It will be privatized only in the sense that a private operator will come in to manage um, the utility. That process is underway. There is a, a an auction process, a bidding process, to choose a concessionaire to be the private operator for the transmission and distribution. The other part of the equation is the generation. With the generation, there there still are a lot of variables in play, but what it looks like will happen is some of the generation capacity that, that currently exists will remain with PREPA. Um, and so the, the private operator will operate it, but it still will be owned by PREPA. Um, some of the generation will be privatized um, so that some of the assets will be sold, uh, either sold or a concessionaire, a private operator, will be brought in to operate them. Um, so the second second bucket of generation assets is, the ones that will be in some way privatized or privately run. And then finally, there's a contracting process that is already underway to bring online new private sources of generation, particularly solar and other renewables.
0: How is privatization, specifically the outcome of privatization, expected to improve the operation of Puerto Rico's electric grid?
1: Well, what we started with was, uh, or what Puerto Rico started with and PREPA started with, is a utility that had been mismanaged for decades, was a complete mess, um, and uh, was not providing either reliable or inexpensive electricity um the governor believed when he announced this plan and the oversight board completely agreed with him that bringing in a a private operator uh could dramatically improve the performance of prepa you know obviously you've got to bring in the operator the operator has to work out but the conclusion was PREPA really couldn't be fixed by putting a few Band-Aids onto the existing operation. What needed to be done is to bring in, bring in somebody from outside who has effectively run a utility and uh, and, and hand over the keys, in a sense, to that, um, to that operator, to that concessionaire, although PREPA will continue to own the, the transmission and distribution assets at the least. You
0: know, I just wanted to
1: characterize
0: the, the electricity, the generation mix in Puerto Rico just for a moment, just for listeners. So Puerto Rico right now gets about 50% more or less of its uh, generation from oil-fired generation plants. And solar on an island which is obviously awash in sun is only single digits, maybe 2% of the total generation capacity of the, of the island at this point. Now, PREPA has... Eight billion dollars in debt. Okay. Actually,
1: ten billion. <laughs> is it ten billion?
0: In the numbers I saw, is the whole whole island has what seventy plus billion dollars in debt. Mm-hmm. So Prepa is ten percent or more of the total debt of the of the of the of the island. How does the plan expect to pay off that debt?
1: How does the privatization plan? The privatization plan. Excuse me. Yes. the The way it expects to pay it off is. Ideally, what's going to happen is the debt will be restructured. Uh, Prepo will not be responsible for paying 100 cents on the dollar for that debt. They're not capable of paying uh, 100 cents on the dollar for that debt. It'll be restructured. Um, The restructured debt will be converted in or will be repaid as what's referred to as a transition charge, which will be included in the price of electricity to, to rate payers. And that process currently is is well underway the The oversight board has reached a tentative agreement with eight point almost eight point three billion dollars of that debt with the bondholders of of prepa uh, and that in, agreement includes uh, an, uh not a, more than an understanding uh, includes uh, a portion of that agreement relates to what the transition charge will be um, over the next uh, thirty years or so. Um, it's very important to get that in place because any concessionaire or operator that comes in is going to want to know what they're responsible for in terms of debt. And so there's there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem. Um, It's hard to know how to restructure the debt until you know what prep is going to look like 10 years from now, which hopefully will include a a private operator Um, on the one hand. But on the other hand, uh, a private operator is going to want to know with certainty what the cost of that old debt is going to be. And we're right in the middle of that right now. We're, um, we're trying to, to persuade the court to approve the deal we've reached. There's a trial, there will be a trial on the proposed agreement on the debt. In, in January, uh, the governor and the um, P3, the public-private partnership authority, are negotiating and, and holding this auction to try to choose an, an operator. That's going forward on roughly the same, the same timeline. So all, all this is coming together at, at the same time.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to a point that you you mentioned earlier briefly, and in my understanding, is that while the FOMB—that's your the body that you're with—its uh, it, role is to provide oversight in Puerto Rico's economic recovery. It has not been granted. The FOMB has not been granted active oversight of the utilities private, privatization or debt restructuring that we were just talking about. Those decisions, again, are being made by PREPA itself, along with the P3 authority that you just mentioned. So the FOMB doesn't have oversight of potential financial transparency issues that have long been one of the major root problems that has had to deal with. Are we going to see more of the same with this lack of direct oversight so
1: the short answer is no and i have to back up and push back on a couple of things or clarify a couple of things you said one is um, we do the oversight board does have a have authority over the debt restructuring process um... we we, we do want to work with prop on we want to work with the with the governor on that but we are the debtor in in bankruptcy and so we are the ones that sign off on the restructuring we do not have control over PREPA itself, as you said, and, and we learned just how true that is to our chagrin after Hurricane Maria. After Hurricane Maria, it was clear PREPA was a disaster. The Oversight Board decided we needed to do something dramatic. We proposed that a chief transformation officer be in, put in place that would be somebody responsible to us. We thought and hoped we had responsibility to do that under the the legislation that created us, um, but we got swatted down. The judge said, we have lots of authority, but we do not have the authority to take over prepa or anything, anything of that sort. So we don't have the authority to run prepa on a day-to-day basis. As far as the transparency issues, Um, We do have some window into that. The the chief window we have into that is the Oversight Board has authority to require our approval in advance of contracts that get entered into. And uh, since Hurricane Maria, we have required that any contract over $10 million has to be approved by the Oversight Board. Now, now, we don't see everything that goes into the contract, so there are are limits in um, in how much we can do, but we can do things like uh, insist that prepa um, show us the the competitive process that they put the contract through, and we've we've really pushed hard on that button. Prepa itself is is finally starting to move on that as well. There there were some some ugly contracts entered into after Hurricane Maria, but the Prepa board is now putting in place a more. Uh, state-of-the-art procurement process that does require competitive bidding. So hopefully this problem is going to get much, much better better in the future. It clearly has been a problem. But... Um, uh, I think it's It's a little better than now than it, it was right after Hurricane Maria. I think it has the, the promise of being much, much better. But but that ultimately is in the hands of PREPA itself.
0: The, the, the example of that problem comes to mind with Whitefish Energy, right? I mean, that was the, the clear example where this $300 million contract was awarded to an unqualified contractor at very high rates to rebuild the electric grid. That since has been rescinded. But uh, that was a, a, a prime example.
1: Of That's right, forward. and the the governor at the time had defenses of that contract that, or those contracts that, uh, it was an emergency. You had to bring in people who were ready to come right in. But by any objective yardstick, that that contract was terrible and um, and was a problem. And uh, it is it's essential that that. Prep, uh, reform its contracting processes so that something like that can't happen in the future.
0: So, David, I'd like to get back to that that debt issue for just a moment. Okay. So, per my understanding of the of the restructuring process, rate payers, electricity uh, users in Puerto Rico would be paying back that debt. Okay, the ten billion dollars or so of debt. This is on an island where the median. Household income is under $20,000. That's less than half the median income in the poorest state in the United States, which is Mississippi. The economy in Puerto Rico is declining. Um, Electricity use is on the decline. The government itself has said that uh, the island will lose about a third of its population by the middle of this century. Given that outlook where you have an economy in a lot of difficulty. How is this plan going to reliably make,
1: enable those debt payments to be made over time? I think the key question to ask is, is what are we comparing this transformation to? So when you look at it, uh, Without any comparison, you say all the things that you just said. The the electricity cost is, um, is too high. Um, it is it's uh, it, it's it's very double high. the U.S. rate. It's Double the U.S. rate. It, it is important to keep in mind that Puerto Rico is an island, and islands are, are more expensive. So if you look at Hawaii, uh, it's I doubt it's double the Hawaii, um, the Hawaii uh, rate for electricity. But it is it is very high. But the question isn't, how does this plan compare to to zero? The question is, how does this compare to the other alternatives? And we've looked into that and asked the question, if you just fix the existing electricity, company. What is Puerto Rico's electricity cost to its ratepayers likely to look at? Within a few years, it's 30 cents a kilowatt hour. And so this transformation is going to significantly lower we expect uh, electricity costs. They're still much higher than I would like. They're much higher than than uh, folks on the island of Puerto Rico would like. But they are. If the transformation succeeds, they will be much less than than what they would be in its absence. In its absence, electricity com- prices might be more than thirty cents a, a kilowatt hour. As part of this transformation, our expectation is that the generation mix will be. Um, will be changed quite a bit uh... and you mentioned earlier that there's a huge reliance on fuel oil at this point which is really unfortunate it's really um, is really expensive our expectation is that uh... in just a few years by uh twenty twenty four the end of the current fiscal plan the reliance on fuel oil will be on, in the neighborhood of nine percent of the generation rather than fifty percent of of the generation so Again, if, if you're comparing the electricity rates to zero, what this transformation hopes to bring will look terrible. If you're comparing it to any other realistic alternative, it looks really good, and hopefully PREPA can make it better. If, if PREPA can step up some of the o- operational reforms they're trying to, um, to engage in, it, it, it might shave a little bit off that electricity cost.
0: And to come back to the earlier question, how will PREPA's heavy debt be repaid given projections for declining population and electricity demand in Puerto Rico?
1: I'm glad you went back to this question because it it reminds me of something I should have mentioned about the debt deal that didn't, and that is all of the risk of the debt deal is on the creditors. It's not on the ratepayers. One of the key components of the debt deal is there is a fixed transition charge to take account of the cost of repaying the debt. Uh, and that, that, fixed transition charge essentially cannot go up, it is capped. Prior to this debt deal, the the cost of repaying debt was not capped and so it could go through the roof and the electricity prices could, could get to 30, 35, 40 cents a kilowatt hour Under this deal it is capped. Uh, The the transition charge starts at 2.7, a little over 2.7 cents a kilowatt hour, and then it goes up over the life of the plan to a high of 4.5 cents. At each stage it is capped at those levels and it cannot go any higher. So the debt isn't free, it does have to be repaid, and it, it will affect electricity prices but there there's no adjustment if uh, if, for example, demand just fell through the floor and and there were very little of these payments coming in because people just weren't using electricity. that risk is all on the creditors. They will eventually get repaid, but they'll only get repaid when that demand is is there. so it's it's a very, very important safeguard, a a cap on how much of this can be, how much of this cost of the old debt can be put in anybody's electricity bill at any point in time?
0: Are there any protections being offered to the concessionaires who will operate this system in the future against falling electricity
1: demand? In a sense, there are. The con- concessionaire agreement, we're expecting to look very much like standard concessionaire or private operator agreements. And the way that the concessionaire gets paid is they get paid a fee plus a possible bonus, a performance bonus, if they meet specified metrics. So in a sense, they're they're protected to some extent against falling demand as well. So the, the, the real cost of falling demand if it would be to fall significantly is on the old creditors. Um, the concessionaire doesn't really face it. And ratepayers don't face, don't face any risk of falling demand. They, they do have to pay the cost of the transition charge um, over, over the life of those obligations, but it doesn't go up if demand falls.
0: So the FOMB has said that about one and a half billion dollars' worth of PREPA's debt may be illegal, that that debt was issued once PREPA was actually bankrupt, yet the restructuring plan would include that debt that needs to be recovered in what the ratepayers would ultimately pay. Why is that not being taken out?
1: Well, there are a variety of arguments about the the debt of, of PREPA. There are arguments that the, the bondholders don't have a security interest in any revenues there there are four or five different arguments of various kinds the conclusion that we've reached with the with the deal that that we've reached is that when you put all of those possible arguments together, and you consider what's the likelihood you're going to win that litigation, how long is that litigation going to take, uh, the deal that we have arrived at is is a very good deal. Um, you know, I wish we could have uh, made an even better deal, but it is, it is, in my view, a good deal. And it provides one of the, the chief benefits of it is not only does it restructure the debt, but it provides certainty about what that debt is, which we believe is essential to the transformation process. So in a perfect world, you know, you, you could... Uh, You could pursue the litigation that that you're going to win if you knew what the judge was going to do, but in a real world, you have to make calculations about what are the probabilities you're actually going to win those arguments, how much is it going to cost you to pursue them, when are they going to be concluded. You throw that all that into a hat, and we ended up with the deal we ended up with, which we think is a pretty good deal.
0: So let's go on to that issue of the fuel mix. And, And one of the really big issues in Puerto Rico is, again, is we've hit, talked about before. This isn't just about rebuilding Puerto Rico's electric grid, but it's about, in a sense, reimagining it to make it much more resilient when the next hurricane comes along. So it's not reliant upon generation one part of the country feeding over power lines to someplace far, far away. The uh, PREPA has come up with an integrated resource plan that envisions eight mini grids for the island. These would be eight grids interconnected, but they could also be isolated in the event of a storm so that if one part of the grid is brought down, the rest would continue to function. There are also some, uh, some goals in terms of uh, having more uh, solar energy on the grid, etc. Yet here's the question I have. The buyers of the privatized assets, PREPA's privatized assets, will not be required to adhere to PREPA's integrated resource plan, which again does recall for more renewable generation, as well as other requirements. That doesn't bode well for a reworking of the grid where generation is more localized, less susceptible to interruption, and ultimately more resilient in the face of any future storms, for example, that may happen. What is the FOMB's view on this I mean you're you're paying for an asset that needs to to
1: endure our view is we are one hundred percent supportive of the mini grid idea um, and it is not at all income it's completely compatible with the transformation with bringing uh, an operator on. It is important to note that Creating this mini-grid, this eight-grid system is expensive. And realistically, it's probably not possible without some federal funding to um, to, to help make it happen. But we are completely... Supportive of it, we think it's we think it's a great idea. We we think it is at a very early stage. It is nascent at this point. It's not something that can be operationalized um, immediately. But if it becomes possible, that that's great. Um, in the interim, our view is it's important to pursue the transformation. The transformation is designed to bring on board a very different generation mix that will significantly reduce the reliance on, on fuel oil to generate uh, electricity that will phase out coal, will have a much, much higher percentage of uh, solar um, generation in particular. And the the nice thing, the virtuous circle in that is when you get in a position to bring on renewables, they're much cheaper than traditional sources of electricity. So that helps drive the The price of electricity um, down still too high, but uh, in my view, but um, but much, much better than what a steady state prepo would look like.
0: Also, one of the issues is many of these contracts are going to be long-term contracts. For example, for gas, so that certain portion of the generation mix will be reserved for gas, which which potentially could butt out some other resources.
1: That is true. There will be uh, currently uh, the natural gas is about I think 22 percent of the generation. We anticipate, and PREPA anticipates, as this is in the IRP proposal, that that will go up a bit, so that uh, in the next five years it'll go up to about 35% of, of the generation, and that, that likely will be a significant source of generation going forward as well.
0: Okay, final question for you. What are the next steps for the FOMB in the process of recovery?
1: Well, the next steps are uh, to to hopefully get this debt deal approved for prepa to to what 's the timing on that The p- timing on the debt deal is trial in January. Hopefully this will be the cornerstone to a completed restructuring sometime in 2020, I hope it'll be in the first half of 2020, but sometime in 2020, that is absolutely essential because to, to to enter into, realistically, to enter into most of the new contracts for solar energy and things of that sort, PREPA needs to be out of bankruptcy. It needs to have restructured its debt. It needs to to, uh, to move on. So that's a Big, uh, big set of steps. Uh, first, getting the the court to approve this this deal, which would be the cornerstone of the restructuring. Then to uh, subsequently approve the restructuring as a whole. The other piece of it, which is the piece that is in the P three authority and the governor and Prepa's hands, is completing this this transformation process, bringing on an operator. Hopefully that 'll happen by the end of this year um, at the latest, fairly early in two thousand and twenty. If you get those two pieces together i think uh, I think you have prepa on its, on, on the road to recovery and to circle back where we started in the very beginning of this process, one of the things I said at a, at a public um, hearing that we had, one of our early public hearings. Borrowing a line, an old line from Reggie Jackson, as I said, for Puerto Rico's economy, Prepa is the straw that stirs the drink. If if Prepa works, I think the economy can take off. If Prepa doesn't work, if Puerto Rico does not have reliable, affordable electricity, I just don't see it recovering from its economic crisis. So so nothing could be more important than putting Prepa in a different place than it is today.
0: David, thanks for talking.
1: Uh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Today's guest has been David Skill, the S. Samuel Arst Professor of Corporate Law at the University of Pennsylvania Law School and a member of Puerto Rico's Financial Oversight and Management Board. For more energy policy discussions and insights, visit the Climate Center's website. We'll find information on upcoming events, new research, blogs, and of course, archives of this podcast. Get updates from the Center by subscribing to our Twitter feed, at Climate Energy. Thanks for listening to the podcast and have a great day.